welcome to the Deep Prince Movies podcast. My name is Stephen T. Hanley. I'm the founder and lead creator of Deep Prince Movies. We're a pop-up cinema based in London and New York. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Mubi, a great streaming service dedicated to elevating great cinema. I've been a Mubi subscriber for years. Mubi's catalog is full of iconic directors, emerging auteurs, and there is always something new to discover. With Mubi, each and every film is hand-selected. It's basically your own personal film festival. You can try Mubi for 30 days at mubi.com slash deeper into movies. That's mubi.com slash deeper into movies for a whole month of great cinema for free. Okay, let me give you some recommendations to get started. These are all from the Mubi UK library. Okay, let's go. Number one, Cheryl Dunn's beautiful portrait of the artist Dash Snow. Moments like this never last. If you're like me and you're excited for Meet Me in the Bathroom, you're going to really enjoy this. This is like Meet Me in the Bathroom Art World Edition. Number two, this is really exciting. Lars von Trier's TV series, The Kingdom. All three parts are coming to Mubi by the end of the year. This is, imagine Lars von Trier doing Twin Peaks in a Danish hospital. And you're close. All three seasons coming to Mubi, including the all-new series, The Kingdom Exodus. Super excited for that. And obviously, I have to pick Oliver Sims' movie Hideous, which is part short film, part music video. So today's guest is Oliver Sim. Oliver is the co-lead vocalist of The XX. He's released his beautiful debut album, Hideous Bastard, this year, which is an amazing title. And the record is just wonderful. And Oliver and I have been Instagram friends for probably about a year. But all we really talk about on the DMs is horror movies. I know we really bonded over Malignant when it came out. Because we both thought that movie was just crazy. And we hadn't really spoke about anything else. So we decided to meet up before Halloween as he was headlining our big Halloween event at the Standard Hotel in King's Cross. And it was a surprisingly open and deep chat. Because all we spoke about before was just movies, but we kind of got a mutual sense that we could be pals. And this kind of turned into a bit of a therapy session, a Buffy appreciation session, and we got into it about just growing up watching films and loving music and living in London. And these kind of chats that are just really unstructured and just two people getting to know each other are becoming my favorites. I hope you feel the same way. Here is me and Oliver Sim. 
So what kind of teenager were you? What were you into? What was I into? Um, I think like me at school, I was never like, I was never necessarily like an outsider because I've always had Romy and Jamie. Like Romy, I've known since I was, since nursery school, since I was three years old and Jamie since I was 11. So I was always part of something. Um, a lot of what we shared was music. Um, I think Romy and Jamie and I differ when it comes to film. Um, you know, like I've... To like pull back from horror, the thing that like I really had the love affair with is just like fantasy. Really? Fantasy. Like we're talking proper geekies? Like... Like, Lord of the Rings style? Lord of, yeah. It, like Harry Potter. Can we talk about Harry Potter? I mean, that that's... You know, I would get so immersed in... If we were like, I think like seeing things like Eerie Indiana, that was maybe my like first like steps into horror and like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But before that was fantasy. And, you know, I would get so immersed in the idea of just like powers, powers, having powers... If if I saw like a, a Harry Potter or if I saw a Matilda or something, after seeing a film like that as a kid, I would, you know, sit and stare at like an inanimate object just being like, move. This is going to move. I'd be so immersed from the film that I'd be like, this is possible. This is possible. Staring at this mug for half an hour just being like, when's the telekinesis going to kick in? <laughs> um, that was me as a kid. That, that, that's, that's really... I had such like a love affair with my television. Um, and that was like one of my best mates. Um, and I would, I would just really get lost. Did you like school? Um, no, not really. Um, I think, like I said, I never felt like a a full outcast because I had Romeo and Jamie. So like if, if I was an outcast, so were they, I was part of something. Um, but I kind of lost interest, um, quite early on. Um, and you know, I've been in the XX since I was 15. Uh, and we started gigging around 15, 16 years old. And that became like the more exciting thing. Mm. Um, did you do college and uni? I did sixth form. I stayed at the same school. So I was there 16 to 18, decided I was going to go to art school with a shite portfolio. Didn't get into anywhere. <laughs> so I went to like pursue my career at Costa Coffee for a year whilst gigging. Um, and then the band took off. I think everyone needs that kick and predict of reality. And yeah, I, le I, I left uni completely thinking, write the script. Yeah. Sundance, <laughs> start dating someone hot from an indie band, then we're in Echo. I had it all so delusional, completely mapped out. And then I, like everyone who finishes film school, I decided working in HMV. Yeah. And then my cousin tried to save me, bless him. He got me a job in an oil and gas engineering firm. Love it. Which was nothing like industry. I was so sure it was going to be like industry. I had yeah. my. I spent so much money on my suits. I had these sick Armani ties and it was just a group of like 60 year old white men doing 
very shady things. That's so disappointing. You know, every time I go down like Bishopsgate yeah. or like Liverpool Street, I have such like a fascination and probably just like an internal non-sexual kink for like business people. I'm like, it's the whole lot. idea yeah. of like meeting at the water cooler yeah. conversations and, and... I want a refund. I remember there was a documentary, a really salacious documentary Channel 4 about how sexualized and the money and the power and the doing the deals, everyone's like hooking up in the bathrooms. Yeah. You'll get like a hot email from your boss, like meet me in the top floor office, exec suite. No. What it, a bump. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it, it was just like, there was nothing like that. The, the only exciting thing that happened was there was this crazy deal that was on the table that somebody was doing a deal in somewhere in the Middle East and there was these two limos or BMWs that were left there. And they said, if anyone wants to put them on a freight container back to London, we can have them. Oh my, God. my broke ass was like, let me, I'm like, no, this is just insane. My parents were disgusted. They were like, this is blood money. This is such a long ordeal. How long but did you stay? Four months. And it got to the point where no, no one even knew I existed. And I would cut and paste interviews from Pitchfork into Excel spreadsheets and read them closely. <laughs> <laughs> And then only if you got really close could you see I'm reading a long oral history of Aphex Twin and not doing any real work. But I needed that just to know that I could never do. Did you see uni out till the end? I did film school at uni, which was good. I wish I watched more and learned more when I was there. We had this whole kind of too cool for school all the lecturers were losers because they're not big filmmakers and we were so naive and so shitty. What, like a little bit bitter? Yeah, we, we, I think we, we just have, we know, we know it all. Yeah. We've seen all the Tarantino movies. So obviously we know our film history. We're just dicks. And I was like, I wish I went back and was just more open and I was all insecurity on our part of just. I think it's really. Really difficult stuff, I think, teaching something and studying something that is creative. Yeah. Because that's what I struggled with at um, secondary school and college was all the book work that went behind it. Not because I was necessarily lazy, but the idea of having to overexplain myself just fell. Um, it didn't feel good. It didn't feel good to like explain why I did this and why was I referencing this. Um, It just, it very quickly like kills a lot of the joy. Um, And like the secondary school we went to, like the music department was crap. It was so crap. But the good thing that they did do was, and, and this wasn't even purposeful, was just like neglect. They would just be like, okay, music, that room's free. There's loads of instruments in there. Enjoy yourself. Uh, and they gave us free reign, which I thought was great. Um, but like I said, I don't think that was intentional. <laughs> I think that was just them being a bit shy. College I was much more fond of than uni. College was when I got into indie films, heavily got into music, and I could start seeing parallels of like 
when you'd see indie directors direct Yolo Tango videos and stuff like, well, they they like each other. Mm. Or you'd start seeing, I'd see Forte at all other gigs I was going to. And it was like when I was like punk shows or noise shows, I'm like, he's there as well. And then it's like, okay, everyone likes the same. If you like this, you like that. And all the music video, all all, all the bands were into cool movies. And you kind of like, this is all just one cool thing. Yeah. This is all just good art. Yeah. That's so nice. What music were you into? What was the first thing you really got excited about? I feel I feel like I was in like a few different worlds. I think, you know, I had, I didn't, I have an old sibling, uh, an old sister. And like all younger siblings, I just stole her shit. Um, I couldn't necessarily steal her clothes, but I stole a lot of her music. And she was into a lot of mid-90s American R&B. So Aaliyah, a lot of like the Timberland productions like Genuine and Missy. Um, and then I shared a lot of music with Romy, um, which was like a lot of like harder music like Placebo or Queens of the Stone Age. Um, and then also like my parents' music, like Talking Heads and and The Cure. So that all adds up to your sound, basically. Do you think? Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, you kind of got the goth, you kind of got the R&B influence. And yeah. Then, yeah. Um. But yeah, like bouncing between those worlds. Um, I'm glad that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Okay, good. Well, what about you? I had a cool older brother who got me into everything. Yeah. Um, we had a great thing where he'd say, we were talking about something and he'd say, you haven't seen The Thing? You haven't seen John Carpenter's The Thing? I was like, what's that? And he was like... Get your shoes. We're going to a video store. Amazing. And and it was it was just like let's get it. This needs to be fixed instantly. So we had that relationship. He was really into shoegaze, and he was really into Sade, which was really cool. Oh my god, I love Sade. But then I had a funny thing that I remember. There was like the cool older kids in sixth form, and I'm like, "Hey, you're wearing a slow dive shirt." And I'm like, "Yeah." And like, how the fuck do you, thirteen year old? How do you know about? Slow dive. And I was like, I like slow dive. I like Jesus and Mary Chain. But also, weirdly, my brother was into low-key guilty pleasure. He loved Harry Connick Jr. Oh. Which was, it's cool, but I, I remember I always text these kids and I have like, Nirvana? Yeah. Sonic Youth? Yeah. Harry Connick Jr.'s When Harry Met Sally soundtrack? They're like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I did not know that if you were into Kurt Cobain, you weren't into Harry it's Connick. It's like his l- little uh, blind spot when you into don't, like well, smooth jazz. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, but his big band swing album is banging. <laughs> and like, shut the fuck up. So that's my favorite thing. Though. That's something I think you do really well is just like an appreciation of whatever, like high or low. It's all good. Uh, it's all good. Don't try and, in front. And yeah. also not trying to like over intellectualize what necessarily the low is of just like, I had a good time. No irony. I hate no irony. No, like, no, no irony, no sniggering. I even get upset when I go see like the faculty I went to go see again. And people were kind of laughing like, no, this is just cool. You're not better than the film. I don't like the ironic laughter in any retro movies or I, I hate that. Genre. And I also hate that like trying to like over intellectualize of just like, well, this well no, like I, I had a good time. I just like enjoying myself. I think like when we were talking about malignant, it was yes. just like like th- that film, you know, it's it's it was like a love letter to 
every horror movie ever. It was just like it a, was a good time. Yeah, I had like one of the best times I had in cinema in a long time seeing that film. Um, and yeah, th- 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 that was kind of it. Um, love that film. Were you going out? Were you part of like the indie scene? Were you going to the clubs and stuff? Yeah, I was. I was gigging. Um, I started gigging young. I started going to gigs quite young as well. Um, my mum like had like a second puberty in her <laughs> late forties and got super into new music. Um, so she became my like mate. Um, and I was like 13 and we would go to gigs together. She took me to my first gig. She took me to my first festival. What was your first gig? First gig, White Stripes. Sick. My mum was obsessed with Jack White. Right. Um, so we went to Brixton Academy, took Jamie. That was my first gig. She made sure that we got there super early so we could get to the front. Um, then she took me to my first festival the year later, which was Reading. Camping with Mumsy? Camping with Mum. Camping with Mum, camping with Romy. And again, it was to see the White Stripes. But like she came with us to see like Peaches. Oh my God. Um, she was, she was like my mate. It was like, it was perfect. Um, and then from that, Romy and I and Jamie started going to gigs on our own. Um, also, I think, like, before I came out, I started to go out uh, to, like, gay clubs on my own. Like, I've been... I'm 6'3", and I've been this height since I was about 13 or 14. Holy shit. So, so like, getting into clubs wasn't really a problem. Um, so I would go I would go to, like, places like Heaven or uh, a really great club that used to be called Ghetto behind um, what used to be the Astoria. Uh, yes. Tunnel Court Road. That was really good. And Trash Palace. Um, and then Romy came out and we were going out together really young. Like, at, at, at the time I was like, I love, like, I'm so proud of myself. Now I look at it with a different eye and I'm like, maybe a bit too young to be in some of those spaces. But um, it was it was great for us. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm a city kid, kind of grew up here. Um, had to let so much at my disposal. Are you, are you London? Yeah, I'm London, but I don't, I think I've always just been slightly awkward and anxious that I never did club night. I rarely did club nights. Yeah. And then when I was, when the whole indie sleaze thing was happening and there was Madam Jojo's and stuff, I'd go occasionally, but I, I never felt part of a scene. I, I, I didn't, I, I couldn't do the new rave I couldn't pull off the new I remember I went to Core Deep Memory. I went to Madame Jojo's and there was this girl in a band I was really into. And I turned up early and I, th- I, I thought I was serving a real Interpol look. <laughs> I had the Armani tie. I had the skinny suit. And I was like, hey, what's up? And she was, and she was like, have you come from the office? Oh, and I was God. like, oh, God. <laughs> I was like, no, Interpol, baby. Rosemary. You know? And she was like, okay. Right. And I was like, stop trying so hard, dude. This isn't. But I was never part of any scene or any. It's funny now because I know a lot of uh, people who were in the scene and were friends. But they're like, oh, you must have been out with, at Mandrojo's and stuff. And I was like, no, I never clicked with 
I never had a click, never had a scene that I felt a part of. I don't think that's really like happened again. I think like the last thing I can really think of was New Rave, where yeah. it was like it was a look, it was yeah. a type of music, it was a place. Yeah. Um that doesn't really happen anymore. It's it's much more like spread out. It's 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 micro things that don't necessarily take over fashion music. Um don't you think? Yeah, there's that amazing Mark Fisher essay where he talks about there's the 60s sound, there's the 70s sound, there's the 80s. And suddenly, I think he called it like a time crisis where you can listen to a a few Amy Winehouse tracks. You know, like, is that a Phil Spector song? Mm. That sounds so much like a thing of the past that we don't have a sound, we don't have a generational sound. We don't have a movement or a, you know, we haven't, we don't, we don't, we don't have our Woodstock or our punk Not- or our... I, I think there is there is like things that you you'll be able to listen to in a decade's time and be like that was then. I think grime and yeah, grime like maybe even like trap. I don't know. Yeah, but but we don't have a generational defining thing. I think it's all very it's subcultures not all and yeah, it's not all encompassing. You can't like do a little like animation of it and just be like okay, that's that time. Yeah, or, or I don't think you could do a flash if if we did a flashback to today i don't think there'd be a signifying look yeah heavy contouring yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah just yeah maybe like absurd balenciaga big trainers and that would be but but i mean that is already referencing what the 90s uh early noughties yeah the chunky train yeah the, the, the almost like trainer. the the fashion elite version of a sketcher or, or something but I, I, I was the same as you. I didn't never really felt a part of a scene. Um, I think like w- when I was first gigging as a teenager, like around Shoreditch um, and around Camden, um, I didn't feel like we were a part of something. But looking back in retrospect, it was a moment, a real moment in time. Because it's like we were gigging with people. We were gigging with um, Metronomy, Wild Beasts. Um, Wild Beasts don't get enough love, man. They I think they're, I think they're incredible. Love. Amazing. Laura Marling, Adele, um, Mumford & Sons. Like all of these people, like making very different music. Yeah. Um, but playing these like small venues together. Um, it was a real moment in time. But again, it wasn't a, a, like an overriding scene. We didn't all sound the same, didn't all look the same. But um, it was something happening. One video I always go back to, you guys did a mashup with Jesse Ware of yeah. Lady Hear Me Tonight and Mojo. No, Mojo. Mojo um, and Stardust? And Stardust, yeah. Bangers. Why was never that a 12-inch? That would have been such a killer released i'm always like why why isn't there an mp3 of this on oh that's that you know that's like opened a part of my head that i haven't thought about in a long time that was in berlin we'd done at one of our own festivals in um this like abandoned um theme park um 
So that's great. Nice. I like those things. I like those things of like, I suppose that, that's not something you can take home. You know, it yeah. was a moment. I suppose we do, we all do love those YouTube treasures of, you know, what's the best version this band ever did of this song. Yeah. Is this like radio session, like KXPR or something that you have to go back to, but. That was oh. fun also because it's like we've got, we've got Jessie and Jessie's a belter. Like she's a real belter. She smashes it. She smashes it and we're like, right, right. This is our chance to like go for it. And when it simmers down and it comes back in with that guitar hook, mm. sick. What a drop. Oh, so good. That was right, so good. I'm going to go and listen to that. It's been a long time. How long were you guys playing before you got signed for your debut? Um... We started the band when we were 15 and we've been working with Young um, who manage and now the label since we were 17. Um, so quite young. But then but we were working with them for like three years before we released uh, a record. You know, when they approached us, um, I remember going for a meeting and just being expecting to talk about like record deals and, yeah. <laughs> and big numbers and things. Um, and all they did was... I think they gave us bus passes and gave us a place to rehearse and helped us get, get, get gigs. That was it. And that's all our relationship was with them for like two years. And then eventually they, they were like, do you want to make a record? How can we help facilitate this? But it was, um, you know, it wasn't the glitzy glam. <laughs> it never is. No. Like, no. But all, it was all for the best. Like, we were so when they first met us we had like four songs uh two of them were covers um and what was it was it hot like fire you guys used to do we had hot like fire we had a womack and womack cover of teardrops oh, of um, course yeah and what else we had a song called blood red moon and a song called vcr that made it to the record but um I think that's that was that was the best thing they could have done for us. Like Caius just supported us and, and gave us time to grow and figure out things. Like we in the beginning we were we try when we decided to make a record, we worked with different producers. Like we ended up in a room with like Diplo for a few days. Um and everything suddenly became very different and it was great to try it and we tried out diff loads of different producers which eventually led us to well jamie's in the band he knows how we should sound um why don't we give this a go was diplo just trying to give you like a major laser banger <laughs> we we recorded with him in the xl offices in notting hill during carnival so we would like go outside have like a rum and coke walk around listen soak to up the, a vibe yeah soak up a vibe but then bring that vibe into the song which <laughs> did not belong in that music but it was fun to do I always think when Simon was first telling me you're into horror, I was like, really? It almost didn't make, now I know it totally makes total sense. But I was wondering, what, what was it about horror movies that you were so drawn to? Um, 
It's funny. I've like, I think through making this record and making this film and I've had to like analyze my relationship with horror for the first time. Um, because I, I, I think a lot of people, unlike paper, it doesn't make sense that I gravitate towards horror because I'm a real anxious Mary. Um, but loads of my, like, horror-loving friends are also quite, like, anxious souls. Um, yeah. And there is something in that because, like, horror doesn't scare me. I don't go to it. I go to it to feel, th- like, thrilled. Yeah. But it doesn't necessarily scare me. You know, I'm not... What keeps me up at night isn't monsters or ghouls yeah. or ghosts you know it's much more local it's like relationships <laughs> because they're coming from inside the house yeah yeah, yeah. It's, yeah it's, it's like everyday monday it's, it's relationships it's loneliness it's rejection it's it's the relationship with my mother like yeah. you know the, the big ones um but and horror horror can be dark and it can be scary and it can scare me but it can also be camp. It can be ridiculous. It can be meaningful. Um, and I think it has the best characters in film. Um, in, in, in my mind, it's like the monsters always, I always gravitated towards the monsters because they were the ones, and especially as a little gay kid, because they were the ones that were different uh, or ugly or rejected in some <laughs> way. Um, and being chased out of town for that, but also getting really fucking angry and coming back to <laughs> seek revenge. Like that, it was yeah. really important for me. And I like, I loved it. Um, and especially like characters that had, I think Norman Bates, um, Buffalo Bill, Patrick Bateman and Hannibal Lecter as well. I think all four of those, monsters are have a real queerness to them that they're, yeah. they're, they're, they're all queens in their in their own way yeah. um and that kind of like deadly faggotry was like great <laughs> for me I, I, I loved it it's something more definitely problematic but like for a kid i like ate it up um so i loved them and then i also loved the final girls because they were the final girls and the screen queens, the Jamie Lee Curtis, the Sigourney Weaver, Sissy Spacek, um, Neve Campbell, of course, yeah. being um, probably up there at number one. But those women were also had the femininity, had the sexiness and the beauty but also were angry. Um, And that was really important to me. Yeah, where's this rage and revenge coming from? Because I I didn't really allow myself to be angry. Right. Um, Because as a kid, I didn't want to stand out. I didn't want to... I didn't know I would be allowed to be angry. Um, And to be angry with that femininity, I think, was just really cathartic for me to see. Um, in film, in music, in video games. Like, video games, I always pick the female character. Always, because, it, you know, the character that was slinky... Yeah. Um, ...maybe had a fan of some kind of sort. Um, and that was my way of, like, channeling it. Because at school, in the corridors, I could not... I couldn't be that. Um, which was really confusing for me, because... 
you know, that femininity to me felt like a superpower. It felt like something I really mm. like I had in spades inside of me, but I couldn't really show. Um, so to have that in film, to have that in music, to have that in video games, television was really important. Um, but yeah, horror, horror gave me a lot of that. And what were your, what was the first horror movies that really had an effect on you? Um, I think we touched on this, but Buffy the Vampire Slayer was my gateway. Right. That was my like gateway. Um, and then like sleepovers, I think scream was probably the first I ever saw. And probably the first where I noticed like a difference definitely in like my reaction to it and the other people at the slumber party of like me leaning forward and everyone leaning back. Um, but then also maybe psycho. Um, and yeah, it, it, the slumber parties were like my, my entry point, um, of like not watching it alone and having access to them. Yeah. That era of Scream, Buffy, Dawson's Creek, mm. I know we did last summer. Mm. That was so exciting because that was the first, horror was back from the first time since the 80s. Mm. I remember I bought, Blockbuster had the Buffy pilot on video. And I remember, I, this is how obsessive I was. I'd, I had the catalog, I knew it was coming out. Yeah. And I rang, I was like, hey, is Buffy in? Because I, I knew by that point, the tapes arrive on Monday and there's about a three hour logging in process where we need to get before they get on the shelves. Mm. So I rang at like 12 and I was like, is it, are they processed yet? And they're like, are you from head office? And I was like, no, I'm just a really obsessive. And I was like, is it in yet? And they're like, it's in, but when we process for an hour. So I went to the Burger King across the road, like pushed a whopper in my head and then came over and I was like, and I think there should be a complimentary poster as well. <laughs> and they're like, that might be out back. And it's like, oh, wait. So I had the, the Buffy poster and then they got it. I got it. And I, it was the pilot. And then the next month they released a tape, which I think was never kill a boy on the first date yeah. episode. Then the next episode, the next tape was out, was the one where she sleeps with Angel. Mm. And then, and this was pre kind of, I think internet was around, but I wasn't, it wasn't like it is today. And that, so I, I had no idea they were just cutting up the series and giving us the banger episodes. Then the next tape that came out the following month was when she kills Angel with the rocket launcher. Yeah. So when I finally got the video box set, I was like, motherfuckers, have they just like ruined two seasons in free releases? But they were just picking for jams. Where did all the, like your excitement and hype come from for Buffy? I I've, I found, I was always into, as a teenager, I loved John Hughes. I loved teen dramas, heavily invested in those. I found them really moving. And I suppose I was, I think it was just exciting to me seeing teenagers play out romances especially when i was deeply single before i yeah. hit college and then yeah i always loved teen dramas and then but i think there's a point 
I think it was only when I talk to my fiance now and I'm telling her about Suffrage as a teen teenager, she was like, Jesus Christ, you were always extra. <laughs> and I, I didn't know. I had no reference point for what a normal teenage experience was, but she was like, Yeah, this is this is why you're amazing, but the average teenager wasn't cold calling blockbuster. <laughs> 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 totally. get this fucking tape on the shelves guys what the fuck <laughs> it's been three hours what are you doing so, so yeah i, I and, and i also i found the show the show was so well written but i really got deeply into it when I, when i saw the tragedy of the show and the fact she couldn't have normal relationships her mom thought she was a fucking brat for, for so long because she said don't go out tonight don't get up to crazy shit just be, just stay at home or have dinner with me and watch a movie. And then she'd obviously have to go out and save a world and she couldn't tell her mom, but her mom was just like, what the fuck are you doing? Why? You just said you'd, you'd stay at home and now you're the snuck out the window. The selfless, thankless life yes. of Buffy Summers. Yes. Little did she know her daughter was keeping the gates to hell. Yeah, just keeping that hell mouth shut. Yeah. And so, yeah, I totally was sold on that. And I was like, this is so tragic and sometimes stressful to watch and painful because you can see this mm. relationship and the mum has just no idea what's going on. Mm. Talking of like Thankless and um, Anya. Yes. Anya. <laughs> the way the treatment they gave Anya at the very end, I think is one of the greatest injustices in television of all time she was such a great character she's like spoiler alert if you like haven't <laughs> haven't watched the finale yet maybe stop listening but just like a flash she's dead she's yeah. gone she was like the comic comic relief she was like such a great character um she deserved she deserved better than that she deserved better than that. Um, I loved her. I loved, obviously loved Buffy. I loved Willow. I loved Willow's dark era. That was really important for me. Faith? Loved Faith. <laughs> yeah. Loved Faith. Um, that episode where they're being like bad bitches and then they cut and, and, and they're in the, the bronze, like rocking out. That was so cool. The bronze. The bronze, yeah. is, the bronze is like a magical place in my head. Spike. Spike, Angel or Spike? No, Spike. Okay. Always Spike. Spike was like a, a sexual awakening for me because I was just like, it was one of the first characters where I was like, okay, this is, do I want to be this person or do I want to be with this person? Um, <laughs> turns out, turns out both. Um, but always Spike. Um, Angel, I thought, kind of a drip. Yeah, I remember someone said he's got Simpsons teeth and I've never got past. <laughs> he does look like a kind of a Simpsons. He's got the real, the real tan and stuff. He's like, it's bordering on a Simpsons meme. Yeah. But I kind of got, he had that supposedly hot, mysterious popping up in places, but just didn't have any edge. Mm -mm. And Giles, I thought, was a beautifully written character. Giles was fantastic. Um... Yeah, a perfect show. Really a perfect show. I think, like, there were so many kids where I think it was Buffy or Charmed. I was never Charmed. No. I don't know many Charmed. And they I'm ripped off the music from the craft and kind of a craft altogether. Yeah. But I remember they, 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 they literally bit the... Yeah, a, a, the, a the, terrible the, the, Smith's, the Smith's cover. cover. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
you know, like I, I, I loved the idea of the show, but it just didn't hit me as hard as um, Buffy. Do you remember that amazing episode where they go to the drive-thru and they're like, what can I get you? And he's like, you. And just like rips the cashier from the window into the limo and drives off. I was like, that's a fucking opening right there. Did you ever get into Luther? The Idris Elba? No, the Idris Elba? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. That had some of the, like, things that actually scared me. It, every episode had, it opened, like, hard start. Yeah. Um, would be... I remember that there's this. The guy under starts, the, the starts, guy under the bed. The guy under the bed. Jesus Christ! Because it starts with the whole like mundaneness of this woman coming home from a night out. She makes herself a tea. She's taking off her makeup. She gets into bed, and you're finally like, okay, she's in bed. But then it just holds on it, and then he slides from under the bed. Yeah, and they put in every trope it was you feel something's up because the, the music center is going on too long yeah so you know the show and you're like there's a fucking serial killer somewhere and then she's like opens the bathroom he's not there puts the coat in the wardrobe he's not there like closes the back door he's not in the garden and it's like they, they've ticked off every box and like then the bed it uh. was like you've completely does gave us like four like fake scares yeah. To then deliver on a slow, long, drawn out, clawing out from under the bed. <laughs> do, 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 I, I, that was a scary one. The one I found actually even scarier than that is when it starts with the woman and her baby, daylight. She gets a knock at the door and it's a policeman. And he's like, I'm so sorry, Mrs. Blah, blah, blah. Um, I have some bad news. And she's like, oh, my God, oh, my God. Um, he's very, like beautifully well-presented man and he's like do you mind if i come in to speak to you about this and she's like oh my god yeah of course is it, is it my husband is it my husband come in come in shuts the door then he turns around and starts licking the air you got the tongue yeah, yeah starts yeah. licking the oh that's so horrible and like the whole idea of like I'm much, I'm much more like intrigued and scared by characters that try and hide their monstrosities. Yeah. Like like present beautifully. Yeah. That is much. They're the people to really be scared of. Like the people that are like visibly monsters are probably are more endearing to me um, because it's it has a. I don't know. The people that have the hardest looks are normally doing it for a reason of just like normally trying to, to me, in my perception, trying to cover up that they're sensitive. <laughs> or, yeah. Like, that, that's what I always say. About, like, yeah, never had any issues with goth metal never dudes. Goth, never goths. Yeah. Like, goth, like goth clubs I've been to, always the friendliest. Always the friendliest. Like Slimelight in yeah. Angel. The friendliest night. Ever. Yeah, it's, that's big outsider energies. So they're always very. It's got that hard look because it's like don't come too close because I am I am sensitive. Yeah, but the you know the ones that like present the most norm, uh, to me has like a oh, totally. edge of, of just like well come closer, come closer. Yeah, it used to be the same when I tell people I live in Wills. I'm like oh my god, Northwest London, what's it like? And I'm like it's cool. Lester Swear on a Saturday night is where I'm really watching my back with fucking crazy Essex lads and chavs and stuff. That's where I'm going to get like, hey, Action Bronson or whatever. And I was like, mm. here we go. 
but then, but, like, that, that's that's that that's so that's the magic of Patrick Bateman. Yeah, of of that like beautiful, like presenting yourself so beautifully. Yeah, uh, and the extents he goes to, you know, whilst he's in that scene when he's talking, you know, in the film when he's doing his morning routine of pampering himself of yeah. like fourteen step skin routine, um, but he's talking about you know, I might look this way yeah i might seem personable but i am just not here that is scary i love that that was the book my brother had when i was a teenager and he was like don't read this <laughs> so i was like okay chapter one this is not an exit <laughs> and then i remember reading it again recently and i'm like all i remember as a, as a kid is this guy dresses like a g kills people and is always renting videos what <laughs> life goals like mostly life goals but then i was listening to the brace and ellis podcast and he said he re re revealed a fascinating fact that if you really know the fashion what he's recounting people wearing is fucking insane these outfits don't go together if you if you really really know the oh, fashion really? he said almost nobody got it but a few people in fashion was like there was no way you could wear a calvin klein blazer with his banana republic trousers yeah, yeah. It, it, it would be absurd but he was like even his assessment of all the fashion is completely Warped. yeah it's complete <laughs> maniac version of how he's Seeing things, which is really interesting. I, I, I loved listening to Brace Nellis's podcast. He like speaks with no full stops, and, and, it, and I never noticed that. No, it, it listen back. It, it it's and then I went to the shop, and then then it's it's it makes so much sense. What's your, what's your, like, talking about, like, my reaction to horror, about how I don't necessarily, for, like, for me, there is something soothing in that. Yeah. There is something soothing in watching something that has, that is about fear, but it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Like, that, the whole experience of the contained fear yeah. is soothing to me. Like, what's your reaction to roller coaster energy? Some sometimes just I like seeing. Well, on one level, is most films just pure pleasure escapism, seeing insane things on the screen. I find so fun, <clears throat> and then another type of horror. If it's like Eli Roth Hostel, I get so stressed out. I get so worked up. I'm I'm there to make up like, oh my God, imagine if we went on holiday and this happened to us. And she's like, it wouldn't. I'm like, I know, but I'm because they've taken the phone. No one knows that his passport's gone. And I get so caught up and I just yeah. really lose myself. Yeah. And I think that's, that, that's really fun to me. Mm. I just completely lose it. I completely, I'm not watching whoever. It's not Tom Hanks on the screen. Mm. It's, a, it's just someone in peril and I just get really swept up in it 
and also just watching crazy shit i i think i i went for a point in university when it was all about there was asia extreme cinema mm. like itchy for killer and bat royale and stuff then when the french went extreme oh my god that was when shit got real mm. and i think it was when i watched martyrs that me i my best friend paul who does all my artwork and design for deeper into movies now we used to go to the horror festival every year and we watch martyrs and i was like bro that was too much that's when i was like we need i'm taking a step back from this shit i used to like watching the most fucked up thing possible or listening to the most extreme industrial noise and things like that and then i was like i think i'm done my edgelord days are over you know I, i had the same experience there was one film um, that mit- I don't even want to say it. I, like, I have one too, but I don't want to say on. I, but that, just, just bleep the name. But like, <laughs> um, that film fucked me up. It, it just the type like, of movie like is this a snuff movie? Is I'm this watching? a yeah. snuff movie? Like, but also the way I had to find that film was like I had to go down so many like different back routes on the internet to get it. Um, wish I hadn't found it horrible the whole idea of a victim being kept alive for too long as well it's just like my worst nightmare yeah this one was literally a woman abducted a camcorder very plausibly set up not you know the kind of fan footage it was like there's no way they'd be filming from that angle they just dumped the camera on the floor for a few minutes and you'd hear screaming and uh... and and i was like and then he'd pick it back up and you see the aftermath and i was like yeah, I'm done. Can can we just watch Jackass now or something? This is just way too... What's that film called? Okay, but bleep and... it out, bleep it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Twilight, Twilight, the, Twilight. Here's the fucking sick thing. Now I kind of want to... I kind of want to see it. See, I had a funny thing that I went back and we watched... Me and my girlfriend watched Bundy the one from the late 90s from the guy who did trick freeway and confessions of a trick baby okay the two scene fam. and i was like this was crazy we watched this at fright fest and it was too much dude really it was just like women screaming getting beat and i was like D-. and then my god i was i was like almost like public apology to my girlfriend like i remember this differently and i was like that film's aged hard that's too much now I saw loads of kids crying on TikTok about this film. Again, bleep this one, uh, called Megan is Missing. Um, I saw loads of kids crying about it, just being like, I'm scarred for life. And I was just like, oh, come on. <laughs> you ain't seen shit. Come on. <laughs> Let me send you a link to scrap of guys. <laughs> kids. Um, I watched it, fucked me up. Oh, really? Yeah, c- could only watch cartoons for a few weeks. Um... Have you ever seen the Spanish home invasion movie called kidnapped no which is literally like if gaspar no did a home invasion movie really that was the final one that was we did martyrs and then we did kidnap not knowing it was be as hard as it was and then i was like it's it's done on edgelord stuff for me i don't need these did you ever do a serbian film Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. We because everyone knows that film. That's not yeah, like yeah, that's but, not like a hidden, a hidden film. Yes, yeah. yes, I have, and that that is too much? despicable, right? Despicable. Um, it just doesn't. 
I like to be scared. I like to be scared. What's a film that's like scared me that I've like, I see what hereditary really scared me. Um, I remember Fantastic, I, I yeah. saw it in, with Simone in Paris and we walked back to the hotel in perfect silence. Wow. Um, because it scared me the whole, the whole family dynamics of, <laughs> of like, to, no one does hysterical as good as Tony yeah. Collette. Uh, Tony Collette is like a master at hysterical and her, like that, I, I hate the idea of seeing like my mum upset, um, seeing her upset or seeing her on the edge. That makes me already scared. That makes me feel really scared. That hits me in like probably some kind of like childhood trauma part. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, her tirade at the dinner table at her son, that is horror to me. Um, also, Tony Collette in the corner of the ceiling, that's terrifying as well. Yeah. But that film. And when they go upstairs to, to the attic and they say there's a dead body there. And that great moment, like, is she nuts? And then you hear Gabriel, like, oh my God. And like, there is a fucking dead body up there. Yeah. Handled brilliantly. Mm. But that film scared me. That film really scared me. Yeah. But I love it. Um, Exorcist 3, I think, is terrifying. Have you ever done Exorcist 3? I've never done Exorcist 3. Masterpiece. Directed by, and obviously, when you start telling people the third part of the Exorcist, you're like, really? Is that the one Dharma was obsessed with? Yes. And it's directed by William Peter Blatty, who wrote the original book. Amazing. George C. Scott as the main character. Brad Dorff as the evil being in the film. Right, okay. Bang so hard, yeah. Uh, okay, I'll go, I'll, I'll go back to Are that. you a collector? Do you do physical media or do you? Do you know what? When you were like talking earlier about DVDs, I've done a clear out. <gasps> it's it's all gone digital. Not music. Music, I love the physicality of, of music. Um you know, I love artwork, but I haven't extended that grace when it comes to film. Um, I've gone completely digital. Wow. Did you keep your player and stuff or do you? All of it's been great talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I keep stuff because it's always disappearing on streaming and there's always, we're working on our own BOD rental channel and just the nightmares of finding who the fuck owns these films especially films that aren't a valuable commodity mm. obviously everyone will own you know like a springsteen catalog or whatever but who owns ghoulies too <laughs> who owns <laughs> like exorcist part three and things like that there's i'm just like and then the, the main thing i do is i buy stuff that i had in the video that i would rent endlessly in the video store nice. as a or 20 something and now there's stuff that is just completely it's completely gone i don't know who'd want to or even if you'd want to buy the title because you may spend 20 grand of a title and you you're not going to get a return on if you press up fifty thousand blu-rays or whatever Wait, do you have vhs as well I have as... A v yeah yeah i've got a really sick vhs player right there, there, there was this great there's a guy we know who does the best video transfers to digital. Mm. And I just shot him a text like, hi, Gary. He just lives with, just lives out in the sticks and just has every analog tape. Mm. He's like beat a mini DV. And I was like, what's the best VHS player? And he's like, sent me a link. And I was just like, eBay buy right now. So good. And so, yeah, I, I, I keep the video for certain stuff. And then, because some stuff I, I like the trailer. I remember I, I had 976 Evil, Robert England's horror movie. Mm. 
and it's got a sticker on the, it was the second video i bought when a local video store was closing down the first one was a lost boys the second was 976 evil but i had a sticker and it said dial mark dark to hear your horror fortune and you dial it and it's like uh, 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 it's like today is going to be a dangerous day I'm like, oh my god <laughs> let me dial it again i like Sorry for my parents paying that fucking phone bill just to ring Mark Dark every day to get a new horoscope, but what a vibe. There are so many, um, so many like holding screens on DVD films of like once you've, when it comes back to the menu screen. Yeah. That I just remember so vividly. The lost art of the memory screen, I, I get really upset now. I know it's a template. Even when you buy something really fancy and big budget. It's just like the play stop menu. I remember when it was animated and they'd have yeah. a song playing and it would be the same font as the film mm. and there'd be special features and audio commentaries and mm. now it's just, that's lost. There, there, there's so much like, you know, like falling asleep to a film, um, a film that you'd watch many times You'd always, I always remember like waking up to like the menu, the, men- yeah. the menu, and the music that came with the menu. Yeah, um, and there's there's comfort in that. <laughs> yeah, that was. Um, it was really sad when I bought my Buffy DVD box set, and then I went on the forums to see like why it's been released on Blu-ray, and they did the first one, but when they did the re-upload, they they just wiped I, I think there's like a punch up kind of crystallized button that they press and they've taken off all the grading and the shadows and the darkness and there were f- scenes that were when very- they, 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 they really butchered it they also like um or oh, the rate as- aspect ratio aspect ratio and you can see like boom mics <laughs> yeah like- <laughs> no this was yeah this was tv ratio this is how it's meant to be yeah. and then all like the, the the beautiful shadows and the grains and the darkness. It's just like there's a great scene where Buffy's asleep and the the YouTube geek was like, "This is meant to be 10 p.m. at fucking night. Why is it so bright? You don't get a sense of mm. time and space." It was so sad. So again, another reason why I'm like, I got to hold on to the DVD until because this may never come back again. Nice, but um, it's uh, yeah. I mean, if you've got the space, if I don't. Got- I'm 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 trying to be a maximalist living as a minimalist nice so i'm trying i i I, when i'm fat and rich i will have like the office archive with everything but for now and then i spoke to someone um this musician who says i treat my collection like i treat my fridge i i just if it's out of date if i'm done with it i'll dump it i'll exchange it Mm. it's not about having like every every Rolling Stone album, I'll just keep the bangers of the ones I really appreciate from the collection. It doesn't have to be the entire fucking A to Z, which mm. is something I discovered. And I was like, I don't need every Friday the 13th movie. I'll just keep the choice ones and things like that. I, I It's nice because I hear, and I'm one of these people, I hear a lot of people talking about the importance of like holding on to music yeah. and like the physicality of that. Yeah. I don't hear that quite as much with film. Um, and it's, it's nice to hear. And you know, the whole, what's her name? Mary, Mary Kondo, you know, yes. d- d- does this bring me joy? Have I l- 
watched this film in the past like two years I don't know if that necessarily works because it's it must be nice to actually browse and be like well I wouldn't think about this wouldn't have thought about watching this but seeing it in front of me I'm gonna yeah um Vasco digging secondhand shops for movies and stuff I found I found Ginger Snaps the other day and I was like yes Ah. love that movie mainly for genre kind of trashy genre stuff which is fantastic that Werewolf Sisters yes yes fantastic yeah Uh. things of that and Brain Scan highest recommendation have you seen Brain Scan with Edward Furlong yeah oh my god I finally found the video store poster of that amazing and that was one that I was upset. There's a few films I'm really obsessed with from the video store era, like that and the Lost Boys and Fright Night. But I got Brain Scan. I bought, there was a new DVD, a new Blu-ray. I bought the Blu-ray and I was like, I really want the poster. And then I had it on eBay alert if there's ever any posters. And I can, and I just, 2 a.m., typical, can't sleep. Let me buy something weird on eBay. And I found it on this place called eBid ebay's budget rival okay. <laughs> this guy had a video store poster of brain scan i was like amazing i was gonna ask if you go in hard on merch but then i just realized you're in a licorice pizza t-shirt yeah. and a sex in the city cap. yeah yeah no. <laughs> <laughs> plot spoilers yes <laughs> yeah the obscure movie baseball cap mm. is where all the luxury money goes fast mm. my fucking kryptonite but Posters now is now, where you can now, really now spend I'm, the money now i'm more fussy it's got to be banging mm. can i will i ever see this again no same well same like the brain scan but the brain scan post was only 10 pound but i was like rare gem never to be seen again mm. must have mm. and then when you go through ebay movie merch there's so much stuff and it's really funny when you see film, things that are like why did they make a meet the parents baseball cap? Where was the market for this? And I, I, I like really goofy films like that, but now, now, now I'm totally fussy hmm. and picky. When Deep in the Movies took off, I, I think I had my crazy period of like all money on everything. Who gives a fuck? Yellow. And now I'm like, bring it in, bring it in. Mm, mm. You know, grow the fuck up. <laughs> stop, stop going so ham. But so yeah, now really fussy, and yeah. I've got no art space on my walls now. Everything what are they covered with. I've only I've got Paris, Texas, the Martin Scorsese After Hours film, and this Pete Bogdanovich film, which nobody talks about, called They All Laughed, which is basically Royal Tenenbaums twenty years before. If oh, you cool. like West, this is like the DNA for a Wes Anderson film. Amazing. So I've got that, and then I bought some Japanese mini posters. Yeah, I've got Clueless, William Friedkin's Cruising, Bryson Ellis Less Than Zero, and we've got one more. Then then we're gonna have four of those. But nice. And I co-sign with my girlfriend on everything. I'm not just putting up. I mean, that's the... that's that's eclectic. Yeah, that's kind of the DNA right there of kind yeah. of all the kind of. Oh, and I've got a Gummo video store poster. See, th- there we go. Like like me explaining my childhood music. I think those posters explain me quite well. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, and my dad looks like Harry Dean Stanton. He looks like? He looks like Harry Dean Stanton. And there was a weird thing where I was always deeply connected to him. 
And let the record reflect, I have a present father figure. My dad didn't wander off into it. There's no abandonment. It's not like an abandonment thing, but very old school Irish, strong, silent type man of his generation. But I remember I interviewed Harry Dean Stanton and one of the last interviews, I think, before he died. And at the beginning, I rang him. I had my dictaphone and he was like, Stephen Hanley. And I was like, yeah, that's me. And I played it back afterwards. And my mom was like, why are you recording your dad? And I was like, I, it's not just me. If my mom thinks it's, yeah. Amazing. The same kind of quiet voice. So yeah, I, I definitely think there's some connection between that's nice. my dad and Harry and Santon. Yeah. So I, I, I think that's, that's what That's to take to your therapist. That's, that, that needs unpacking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right there. Does that, and I, I remember it was really funny. I was at a wedding once and i was sat next to someone who was a therapist and i said random question i always dream that teenagers from my school who i was friends with pop up in my dreams and i haven't seen them since it's very much like the in-betweeners kind of thing and i just was like you guys just want to get drunk and do stupid shit and i'm way more into my movies and music i think i'm just gonna part ways after after school and i went to college and i said but they always pop up in my dreams and she was like well did you have any issues and i said well we all kind of stopped hanging out and there was one incident where there was like the new kid who kind of took my place in the group yeah and i had a scene at lunch where they were like you can't sit with us and i tried to pull up a chair and they pulled it away but it was a total slapstick comedy moment where my chair like flew back and then they put me at another table right next to it. And it was so smooth the way it happened. It looked really like something from a slapstick movie. And I said, that was really embarrassing. And she said, yeah, you need to unpack this with your therapist. Yeah. You, 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 there, there's an abandonment rejection yeah. thing going on here. And I was like, well, God damn, did this get heavy real quick? <laughs> I, I'm a, always up for one of these chats. I am always up for one of these chats. Um, I have the same. I have, like, quite, let's be honest, like, insignificant in terms of time that's spent with from childhood um, that frequently come up into my head. Uh, yeah. And, and I think about... Um, like, I couldn't give a fuck about these people. They totally... Well, I say I do. I say I don't. But I was like, I want to go see Chasing Amy at the cinema. And they were like, that sounds boring. We're going to try and get sold beers like we, we were talking about this like as teenagers you don't want to stick out and then if if you do have the courage to kind of like deviate and suggest something else yeah. and that's snubbed um at like a really like formative type god therapists in yeah. here um on two couches we should yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a big thing um i like three days ago i got a text from my first ever boyfriend from when I was 17, who I haven't spoken to in years, years and years. Um, I, and, and it was such a short relationship, but like all of that, like teenage drama um, and perspective is still there. And and it's like this, the, the idea of this person 
still has like so much weight and so much power because but it's like it's everything to do with me and kind of nothing to do with him really because it was such a formative time um and because that was what i thought was my first love um it's wild i tell you why i think it is i my brother and sister both have friends from primary school to now like my brother's best friend was his best man at the wedding and i think it was instilled in me that the friendships you make at school you keep for life and then looking back now i really respect my tenacity just to say to stick true to myself stoic i guess (laughs) just no look fuck you guys I want to explore this. I'm going to do this. But there was a year or so where after after school, I, I fucked up for a year in college. And then I did the me- next year I did the media course and that's where everything went. Everything streamlined. But there was, I think it was around two years there that I wasn't really hanging out with many people. Mm. And I, I remember this film hit me way too deeply. I watched um, Days of Bangold Summer with Earl Cave. Seen he's about 16 17 he's a he, he's he's like a sulky goth and he's living with his moves away from his father and living with his mom and that it's a, it's kind of an age where you do want to hang out with your mom but it's a little bit embarrassing <laughs> and he's just being a, like a bratty teenager and i think it brought me back to when i was like Mom, drive me to Blockbuster. Yeah. <laughs> and she'd be like, what about your friends? And I'm like, yeah, not seeing them right now and not going to open up to you about my yeah. new situation where I'm where I'm discovering yeah. these different things that they don't want to be a part of. Oh, man. If, if, if it was like, if we're going to get, like, real therapy here, like, all of those things, all of those, like, personas we, like, fell into as teenagers yeah. and kids are so easy to like access and slip back into. Yeah. Um, I just spent a weekend away with my mum and my sister in a cabin in Hampshire, like in the woods. I'm a grown man. I'm a 33 year old man. I've done a lot of work on myself. It's so sometimes fucking frustrating how easily I like slip back into just like a role that I normally play, which is like sometimes just like, silent protest <laughs> Do you know, if i'm like not getting my way of just like silent protest i'm like i'm a 33 year old yeah. i'm like come on um yeah they can... also, also like that idea of just like being an outsider at school or, or feeling like hurt and feeling like you have to withdraw so easy to like access and get back into no one can press your buttons like your your family family but also those people that you're talking about For, right. those, those miscellaneous people yeah. the one that pulled away your chair yeah like you're going to probably meet different versions what you interpret as different versions of that person in your adult life and they will push your buttons i've got my own pull chair puller and um, yeah i think yeah. it's true and there's there's also uh it's kind of funny when i if i book a really cool podcast guests such as you or book a really cool film i'm like yeah i got it and then my, my girlfriend's like why are you sounding so competitive who you, uh, <laughs> it is I, i've almost got a and, and i i've kind of got a joke now i said that will fucking show them <laughs> and my girlfriend's like who's they who's against you who's not supporting you i'm like nobody i don't i don't know who, who they air quotes uh. is but it's like uh 
and now I've realized like stop trying to win everything and just it's okay you know I was I, I had a rationale recently where I was like can't become a workaholic difference movies is definitely growing upwards but you can't be defined just by every, trying to win every fucking podcast guest and every big film as well there is more to life and just but hey the like flip side of that is like sometimes like competition and like need to win is sometimes a fabulous source of energy yeah, no, i do have it's a fantastic source yeah. of energy it can be really toxic and yeah, can yeah, be yeah, terrible yeah. No, i need to become not not become darth vader but <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I, i've definitely yeah. got that evil slightly machiavellian side where you're like <laughs> but that's Fuck great you. yeah romy yeah romy she's my sister i like i love her i celebrate her and like it doesn't stop me celebrating her successes like right now like everything in my life i've done side by side with her nursery school primary school sixth form we've had a career we've traveled the world together for the past like 15 years now we're both made solo albums at the same time oh yeah i love her let me stress this i love her i support her and i celebrate her i've got to win i've oh got to win really? yeah 100 percent. oh my god but also i have no fucking idea what winning is um, no i don't, I, no I don't measure know measure of when, that when is it, when is it enough when am i enough when is the business enough there, there, there is no destination no. there is no winning but but part of me quite enjoys it because it, it like the whole process of like making my record i would check in with her every month she'd play me what she was doing i'd play her what, what i was doing she played me a really good song no better source of energy to go running back to the studio and work on something oh my um, god <laughs> yeah so i I, th I think like if in, if if you cross to go over into the dark side yes yeah bad pull yourself back but um otherwise no my more i think my moral compass is in place but yeah. maybe i'm just like yeah fuck you to those randoms in school who yeah love that yeah maybe that's a good place to end <laughs> <laughs> we just started with, with I had therapy earlier today, and I've achieved more in this podcast. There we go. I'll bill you for it. I'll, 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 be, I'll bill Young for the chat, and then we It's really been good. This has been so much fun. It really has. Thank you for having Thank me. Thank you, buddy. Okay, that's it. Thanks for listening. And thanks again to our sponsor, Mubi. Remember, 30 days for free at Mubi.com slash deeper into movies. Speak soon. Mm -hmm.